Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmaid and this week we return to a series of interviews speaking to the bold and much admired cinema director Luca Guadagnino and we focus on two of his much admired films, A Bigger Splash from 2015 and Call Me By Your Name from 2017. A budget of a film is really necessarily uh, something that binds you to the scale of your possibility of communication. I think it's a family movie. It's the most, the closest thing I could have ever done about uh, to a to a to a Disney movie. We begin with a bigger splash: the tale of rock star Marianne Lane, played by the director's longtime cinematic partner in crime, Tilda Swinton. Swinton's Bowie-esque character is hiding on the remote island of Pantelleria in the Strait of Sicily, with her companion, filmmaker boyfriend Paul, played by Matthias Schoenartz. <laughs> You produced this? Christ, no. I was 16. This is top. I didn't know it then, but I do now. As she recovers from an operation on her voice, their lives are interrupted rudely by the arrival of old rock producer Flame Harry, played by Ray Fiennes, and his daughter Penelope, played by Dakota Johnson. In 2015, I spoke to the director. I thought an interesting place to maybe start is when you're going from one film project to the other, so going from I Am Love to A Biggest Flash, does it flow into each other? Does, does, do you feel that one should contrast or it should complement the, the previous film? I think the answer is in the, is in the knowledge of, you, of yourself. Like, what do you know what, about yourself? What do I know about myself? And it's also very intuitive. So what your question is more for an historian who will retrospectively see my work and try to understand how one thing went after the other. I mean, there is not a rational answer to this, um, apart from the fact that it's all about, uh, for me, being, being uh, uh, invested in the, in the characters, in the story, in the world of the movie in which I can be immersing myself for a number of months and years. Did you ever abandon a project? Well, there are, for, for any film that a director makes, there are five that he doesn't succeed in making, and I am no exception. Yeah, I, I think I read that you, you like actually some, having some constraints when you're making a movie. Constraints means that you have to find a way to go through things given an, a, a toolbox. Mm. And so, sometimes it's important that you don't necessarily need to have the entire palette 
you can play with the nine, a limited amount of colors and you can create more color out of that. So it's about both a, a, a constraint that asks your mental energy to develop to, the, to, the, to a degree in which you can really expand the constraints. Mm. It's a very efficient way of working, in my opinion. Um, Tilda Swinton uh, is an actress that you've worked with for, I think, something in, th something in the region of 21 years. Um, someone you've come back to again. Well, first of all, uh, Tilda is a filmmaker from what I'm concerned is more, more than an actress. She's such a great tridimensional cineast that there are so many, there is so much more to her than just simply being an actress. My parents have been together for 48 years this year. Uh, of course... You know, like it's it's a it's 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 fabulous. You know, like it's such it's about humankind. How do you? What is the outcome of a long relationship? That's so fascinating. Mm. You can't talk or won't. Cancer. Oh right. Your career. Cool. With uh, Rafe Fiennes, I believe he was someone else that you, you hadn't got to work with, but you've been, ve been very inspired by. Well, first of all, I've been drawn by Rafe since Schindler's List, but also through other great roles he played, like Quid Show and mm. Strange Days and The End of the Affair. Such a fantastic performances. And The Grand Budapest Hotel, I, I saw the trailer to the film and I realized there that Rafe was the right person to play this role because I saw how light he was in this trailer. Monsieur Gustave in Wes Anderson's film is of course a different kind of, is a different bird. He's a, he's a man of chivalry, he's a man of codes, he's a man of mannerisms where, where Harry is, is a man of, sh is a shattering man, someone who'd really destroy everything in a way with the sort of pa pagan attitude. And this is, this is um, truly fantastic that he could unleash himself into it so radically. I felt that he w was exhausting himself in the role. He was just throwing himself and his energy as much as possible at the camera. I don't think he exhausted himself. I think Rafe is a scientist. He knows how to modulate the elements. I was angry with you. Yeah, I know I was slutting around, but you took everything so hard. And now look what I've done. I've <laughs> thrown you this square. Yeah, he's square, Marianne. He's a square bear. He's all cuddly and built for hibernating with. And he's stuck. I think I read that the dance that he does in the, in the film was something that he worked on for a long time. Well, we, 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 yeah, it was. It, 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 need, it, need, it needed to be felt like something completely natural and nothing choreographed. Mm. Let's talk about the other two actors in the film. Um, Dakota Johnson came on, I think, was one of the, the last people to come onto the project. Why did you think it was so hard to find to, to fill her role? No, it, it wasn't hard to fill her role. It was. Uh, it was a process that went went this way. But when I met Dakota, Im immediately I felt that she was the perfect Penelope. And I'm glad because, you know, life is very strange sometimes. It, it leads you somewhere that eventually you don't go anymore and you turn. And that's one of the cases with Dakota in, in, in A Bigger Splash. She's such a great 
witty, clever actress. I love her. Would you think I was being ingratiating if I said I wanted to make documentaries? Just pick up a camera and go film the kids in Mansoura or something. Oh, have you been there? I wouldn't let that stop me. Well, you want some advice? Why? Because I'm a girl? No. No, you should definitely go to Mansoura or Detroit, whatever moves you. Mm -hmm. Just don't do it the Harry way. Just lay low, keep your mouth shut. All right, I'm not afraid of that. Do you want some? No, I don't smoke. Doesn't mean you don't want some. Yes, it does. We, I got Dave Kajanek, who wrote the script, who is my dear friend and great, great writer, to be with me in Pantelleria while shooting in order for him to let the movie be embodied uh, by the script and not the other way around. So every happening was really welcome. Everything that was happening in the real time of the shoot was really welcome. What interested me as well, and I think this goes back to one of, your, one of the, the, the directors that you particularly enjoy, is that I was reminded of Stromboli. Um, because the island was was either crying or you know it was it was angry because of the wind and stuff like that. Roberto Rossellini is my personal god, uh, and the voyage in Italy is the hidden, it's the hidden homage to this film. Hidden and not hidden, it's there. Mm. Yeah, I love Rossellini. The island brings such a strong character to yeah. itself. <laughs> uh, music, I am love. Uh, very much um, is an incredible showcase for the music of John Adams. But here we, we switch to the Rolling Stones. Well, you switch to the Rolling Stones uh, because they are a role, uh, they, have, they are a character in the film. Their, their spirit informs the film and inform the actions of characters, such as Rafe, a character. But also you still have John Adams. There is a great piece of John Adams in the soundtrack. And also you have the great Anton Karosho being played in the movie. You have the great Popol Vuh. There is a lot of music. Sometimes you know what you want from the beginning of the writing process and the ended up being the same thing at the end, which is the emotional rescue dance. Mm. Sometimes you try things and you change your mind, but the spirit stays the same. We start the film with uh, Tilda Swinton's character as this incredible um, rock star that we don't necessarily see very small glimpse of a, maybe a Bowie, Bowie-esque figure. W were they heroes of yours when you were growing up, Bowie and, and the Rolling Stones? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. They are still heroes of mine. <laughs> do, do you think the film has a certain resonance now, unfortunately, that Bowie died a few weeks ago? Well, it's a strange question. First of all, because I think, that, um, regretfully, not having any more Bowie between us, we still have Bowie between us. And we shot the movie this two years ago, so I don't think that the, the, the appearance of the physicality of Bowie from the world have any impact on this film. Mm. Uh, but if the spirit of Bowie is, in a way, part of the spirit of A Biggest Splash, I'm, I'm glad and happy and proud. Oh, okay, Sylvie, do you know this album? I can tell you a little story about my contribution to Rolling Stone's history. Keith is insisting no drums, you know, and we're working away, and I think, no, no, I, I go to Keith and I say, okay, so can Ronnie do a track on pedal steel? He goes, yeah, but no drums. So I'm thinking, what the fuck? So I give Mick castanets, so you've got Chuck Lavelle on the harmonium, and everyone is folding in all this beautiful shit, but this song is not taking off. So I say to Keith, do you trust me? He goes, yeah. If I promise no drums, can we do a percussion track? He says, what's Charlie going to play? And I'm thinking, yeah, what is Charlie going to play? But I'm asking myself, what's the sound? Something not too crisp. And I look over and I see in the corner, wait, what is it? 
It was a fantastic idea that Tilda brought to the table. Something so compelling, so challenging in a way that was... Now that I see the movie, I think, how, how could she have talked? It seems to be the only way, and that's a sign of her greatness as an artist. It's a trash can. No! <laughs> it's an aluminium fucking trash can. <laughs> so I brought Charlie out in the stairwell. He put a mic three floors up, and Keith's taking his head, you know, as I'm right. As soon as Charlie starts banging on it, we're off! A can for trash. Human evolution in the key of C. Moving now to 2017 and his follow-up film, one which really brought his work to a more mainstream audience. A summer of music, food and a powerful and profound romance in Call Me By Your Name. Look at this. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. From the dead. Was I out that long? It seemed like it. How, how are you? I, uh, well, rested now. Thank oh, you. Glad. Would you like some of my espresso? I would love some. Thank you very much. This looks amazing. Thank you. I didn't take your seat, did I? Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. Please. This film is based on Andre Asserman's book with a screenplay by James Ivory. The story takes you back to the summer of 1983 in Italy and centres on the meeting of the young Elio, played by Timothy Chalamet, and his encounter with Oliver, an academic played by Army Hammer. Oliver has come to stay at Elio's parents' villa and a passionate relationship develops between them as they bond over music, food and the idea of being an outsider. I spoke again to Luca about the origins of this film. I, I read the book in 2008 when Peter Spears and Howard Rosman, the producers who originated this project, approached me because I was Italian and I was making films in Italy and they wanted to make this movie happening in Italy. And, and so I, I read the book because they wanted me to give them some advice. And mm. so that was my first time with the book. It's funny because the, the film followed a very con- convoluted path. Until one day, me and Ivory decided to write the book, the film together. Mm-hmm. Ivory was part of this f- group of people trying to make this movie happen as a producer since the beginning. But then, because we couldn't make this movie happen in the way the script has, that has been written originally worked, we said, why don't we try to make it together? Mm-hmm. So we worked together on the script. But he didn't direct, left it to you. We really wanted him to direct the film very, very much. But unfortunately, the, the law of the market has, are cruel. And that version of the movie didn't happen because we really hit all the walls against which we could have made this movie happen. And it didn't happen. And then the bit Peter came back to me and said, I think we can try to make it for a much smaller budget if you take the reins of it because... You know, uh, I, I could have been faster and we could have made it into a very small, small movie. And I said, I would do it only if James would bless the choice. And James blessed the choice. And we tried again. And it was like another tiring uh, year and a half of trying to put together the movie. And eventually we made the movie for little money. Well, you said it's a small movie, but the ideas are big. They're universal. They're, they're, they're incredible, I thought. That's why I don't believe that a budget of a film is really necessarily uh, something that binds you to the scale of your possibility of communications. Think of Moonlight. It's a movie that I think Mm. costs a million and a half. And yet the magnitude of this beautiful movie waves through place and time right now. None of our residents has ever had a local bank account. Really? Mm. Mm. Should I take them to Montaudier? I think they're closed for summer vacation. You try uh, Crema. Is this your orchard? These are Anello's trees. Oh, wow. Pesca, ciliegie, albicoque. Mm. 
Pomegranate. Mm. Melograno. Okay, so you have the screenplay and you're going to make the film. What was the first few steps? Do you need the actors in place? How do you decide? I would say both the space and the place and the actors. But once I decided to, to try to make this movie happen by doing myself, I also said, let's make it in my hometown because I knew the place and I wanted to create that kind of lazy frozen kind of time that has to do with the summer in the plains of, of uh, Lombardia. And at the same time, I said, let's go for Timothy, who I met before as a producer and I loved, and because he's a very intelligent, articulate and ambitious boy. And, and also with Army Hammer, which I always been a big fan of. And once they signed on the film, I, I felt like, okay, we can go. One of the many themes of the film for me was this idea of translation or the, the way the film moves between different languages had a real sense of beauty about it. I'm fascinated by cosmopolitanism and I'm fascinated by the usage of language. I, my mother is Algerian, but she spoke to us in French. We grew up in Ethiopia. They were talking Italian, Ethiopian, Amaraic, uh, French and English. You know, like I, be, I soaked myself into a cosmopolitan world. So I guess it's something that has to do with, I feel at ease in that mm. kind of shifting languages yeah. no barriers in language yeah that's what i love and the other things in there which i, I thought were really good um on a similar theme was uh music so ilio plays the piano it just connects with people on a very instinctual level or later on with the dancing as well both things kind of kind of transcend any kind of explanation well music is a is a is an art that can lead you to self-discovery and to connection and Elio is a pianist, so he is uh, basically a, a, a sort of subject of the transmission of that. This movie is all about the transmission of knowledge. It's about that. I, I think it's a family movie. It's the, most, the closest thing I could have ever done about, uh, to, a, to, a, to a Disney movie, wow. you know? So it's really, like, if you think of a great Disney film like Snow White, he, he plays all the arts including the music and songs, to convey something that is about a sort of a beautiful, powerful transmission of knowledge. There is something about the, the, the wonderment of a child watching a film like Disney or like Miyazaki or mm. Pixar, that it's about a very deep uh, understanding of how you can make someone aware of something through the beauty of uh, the connection with someone. So I thought about that a lot. I do believe this is a family film. It's about a young boy learning to be himself, I, I, another boy learning to welcome that into himself. It's about a family who is really connected by the beauty of culture and the beauty of understanding and the capacity of loving and acceptance the other without being biased by it. It's, it's amazing how the, the, the mother and father are, are, are so open to the adventure. Even though they're not seeing it firsthand, they are kind of instinctually aware that he's exploring his sexuality. I think that was something that I really wanted it to be, very like this, very much. The first word of the novel is later, um, and that's another word that is within the screenplay as well. It's fun because it shows the different cultural styles that we come across in the film, this American coming into Italy him adjusting to their way of life. But they, they also take something from him. I think it's always mutual. I wanted to use a song by David Bowie called Loving the Alien in this, in this uh, film. But then, uh, uh, because it was too didactic, I didn't use it. But this is a movie about loving the alien in mm. yourself and in the other. So it's very important that uh, uh, what you say 
It's very important that they change through him and he changed through them. Not like in Theorema by Pasolini, an agent of destruction. Because these people, they don't need to destroy anything because they're really open people. That's, that's the thing that if I was talking to someone about the film, trying to explain how it doesn't judge, it doesn't, it doesn't blow up the drama, it just lets everything happen as it should, which we don't see in many films. Thank you. I don't know what else to say. Thank you so much. It's great to hear. I've never even heard of the Battle of Piave. The Battle of Piave is one of the most lethal battles in World War I. 170,000 people die. Is there anything you don't know? I know nothing, Oliver. Well, you seem to know more than anybody else around here. Well, if you only knew how little I know about the things that matter. The film being set in the 80s, how do you see that? as important to the story? How, how does that affect the story? I think it's a very important moment, that, 83. It's the moment in which the exciting and great experience of the 70s was collapsing into the hedonism of the 80s and the, the, the brutality of uh, Reagan and Thatcher. Mm. So that's probably the last summer of innocence, probably, for all of us, before, before this brutal um, individuality and extreme neoliberalism started to grow and grow and grow to the, the to the corrupted the, the, the private the privacy of, of what we are experiencing today something i noticed i know is important to you in your films is there was a few moments where i felt you were painting a picture there's one particular scene where uh, you frame on a big landscape and we see the characters wheeling his way up but obviously the the cinematography is something that you you want to want to be right I don't know if I want it to be right. I, 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 I indulge and, uh, and, and, and I love the collaboration with great visual per people. I love Sion Bu, I love Yohei Klesso, my previous director of photography I worked with on two movies. It's something that has to do with um, empowering everybody who does a movie. Every element of the movie has to be empowered. Mm. I don't know if it's about being right. I think it's about... Is it about resting between certain moments of action or, or, or not, or reflecting? I think the moment that you're describing is one of the most tense moments of the film, where there is a brooding, uh, under-the-skin tension between these two people that are high, going toward, toward the inevitable. So those kind of contemplative shots in reality, they're the most hectic ones, because the, the soul is very hectic in that moment. And they challenge each, each other intellectually, which is quite interesting as well. They, they test each other out. You know, there's a moment where Elio is talking about the history with the statue, and um, that's, um, that's quite interesting again. But everybody does that. Like, even if you're not cultivated like Elio and Oliver are, you're going to challenge your other person because of maybe, uh, I don't know, the app on your phone. I have this, you have that. You know, like the challenge, the intellectual challenge, whatever is the ground, it's always there in the seduction, I would say. And without giving too much away, but for me, the moment that broke me or the moment that I just, I found so powerful was when the father is empathizing with his son or showing, a, showing an understanding that only a father can, I suppose. I, as I said to you, being a movie about the transmission of knowledge, that scene is in a way summarize all the concepts that we would try to pull off with this film. What things that matter? You know what things. Why are you telling me this? Because I thought you should know. Because you thought I should know? 
Because I wanted you to know. Because I wanted you to know. Because I wanted you to know. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As a bonus on this podcast, we also covered Luca's next film, his remake of the 1977 Dario Argento cult horror Suspiria. His impressive cast for this film included Dakota Johnson as Susie, Tilda Swinton as Madame Blanc, Chloe Grace Moretz as Patricia, and Mia Goth as Sarah. I want to start work on a new piece. A piece about rebirths. The inevitable pull that they exert and our efforts to escape them. We learn it now, but Susie, you will improvise freely at its heart. I'm interested in your instincts here. A dance academy run by witches in 1977 Berlin. This is no ordinary film. I spoke to actor Mia Goth. It's a dark thriller, crazy, mesmerising, horror, powerful, weird experience. I mean, would you agree? Yes. But on top of all of that, I also think it's a very tender film. And I think there are moments that are beautiful and explore womanhood and celebrate women and um, explore these ideas of uh, femininity and sisterhood. And, 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 I, and that's one of the reasons I love it so much is because it is so layered. How did you get involved? Where, where did the journey start for you with this film? Uh, I got sent the script from my agent and then I very quickly after that had a Skype meeting with Luca and he told me all about it and how he'd been a fan for many years, his whole life, and he had finally had the opportunity to recreate this. But he was very specific and said it's not a remake, it's more of a reimagining mm. and how he wanted his version to have dance as much more of a central theme, how he wanted it to be an all-female cast. And he told me how Dakota and Tilda had already signed up for it and 
all of this was incredibly exciting for me. And uh, did you, I was going to say run down the video shop, but that's an old fashioned thing to say, isn't it? Um, did, did you f- find the original film or did you want to stick, stick clear of it? Um, I did watch it, uh, but I watched it once I got to Italy and I'd spoken to Luca all about it and he told me and pointed out what it is I should watch and, and how to watch it and things I should look out for. And that made me appreciate and enjoy the original Suspiria all the more. And um, were you a dancer? Have you, have you trained in dance? No, but I told Luca I had, and I would have told Luca anything to, to have had the chance to have worked with him. So that's why when I got the job, I, I cut my holiday short, and I, two days later I was in Italy and I started dance training. We trained for two months before we started filming. Oh, wow, that's intense, isn't it? Yeah, I loved it so much. It was so much fun. It was hard. It was brutal at times, but once you got it and you hit a milestone, it was really addictive and really fulfilling as well. How did Luca sort of describe the dance to you? Because, I mean, I think I'd be fair to say it's a sort of a demonic dance of sorts. Yeah, it's... um, He wanted to make something sensual, but equally something that wasn't seen through a male gaze. It's um, not voyeuristic in any sense. There's something very raw about it, very primal. It's very poetic. He wanted to make a dance that celebrated women and he also had an incredible choreographer Damien Jallet who he respected and and trusted entirely and so they very much collaborated with that and was very open to Damien's suggestions. And was this a great time to sort of get to know some of your fellow cast members as well during these these very exhausting rehearsals? Oh yeah that's how we bonded too we were all in it together really and that's how I got to know Dakota and we became friends and we were very supportive of each other and I remember she helped me like especially in those first couple of weeks where my body was literally being broken down she like would make me cups of tea and she oh, massaged really? my feet at one point. Like she was, she has a very maternal quality to her, which I was really taken with. Let's talk a little bit about the plot of the film. Um, as we mentioned, Dakota, she uh, plays Susie and you're kind of a, well, you become her best friend, I suppose. Yeah. And that was the easiest part of the job. She's so lovely. That was, yeah, a breeze. <laughs> and your character in the film is the one that kind of starts to suspect this dance school isn't everything it should be. Yeah, uh, Sarah, my character, she kind of takes the audience by the hand and we figure out what's going on together. And we kind of go through the ups and downs of what that entails. And she's sort of the voice of reason throughout the film. And had you, I presume the answer is yes, but had you seen much of Luca's work before? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I Am Love, um, Melissa P, A Bigger Splash. He's he's an incredible, he's a master at what he does. and, And I love the worlds that he creates. So to be a part of that was a huge honour. And obviously you've worked with other directors. Could you talk about his directing style or how he gets what he considers a good performance out of you? Yes, he's very collaborative, which I love. He wants to hear from you. He wants to know what you think and what your take is on the scene and on the character. When he trusts you very much, he knows that you ultimately are going to have the best understanding of your character and what she would or wouldn't do. He also pushes you. He knows that he can get more from you if he pushes you just a little bit more than out of your comfort zone. And that's um, one of the biggest things that I took from working with Luca is to really trust yourself even when you are, are uncomfortable because sometimes that's where your best work is. Does he do lots of takes? It, it varies. Sometimes you could do two takes and then other times you might end up doing 10. It, he doesn't have one way. He's um, very malleable and fluid and it depends on what's right for that scene at that time. 
Does he do anything specific to sort of create the atmosphere, especially on this film? I mean, does he play music at certain points? Was there anything that he did or was that just there in regards to the, the set and the lighting? Well, I think, well, Luke is the one that picked the, the location and I think that's the ultimate act of um, ensuring that we were all in the right frame of mind and I, I, know, I know for a fact that's partly why he wanted that location because he it became a character in and of itself. It was so eerie and so untouched for all those years. I'd say that was probably a um, very smart move from Luca to, to pick that abandoned hotel. And did you have any nightmares? I mean, the characters have nightmares living in that in that place. Did it, did it give you a few e- eerie moments? Yeah, absolutely. And it was very difficult to just go home and, mm. and unwind because we went from one um, abandoned hotel on a hill and then we were staying in this very old hotel on another hill. So <laughs> you never really left. And we were, we were in Varese, which is this town outside of Milan, about an hour's drive. And there really isn't much going on there. That actually helps too because you end up, I find when you're in small towns like that, you um, form much quicker and tighter bonds with the people you're working with. And we were there for four months and it was all over the winter period. I mean, it was a long shoot. Mm. I think it's the longest shoot Luca has ever done. And, you know, these horror movies, they're usually done quite quick and cheaply Mm. and they get turned around very quickly. Um, but we really did take our time to make a quality movie, as you would with a, any Luca movie. And I think you see that in the result. It was intense. So we shot there and then we also shot in Berlin, but only a couple of weeks there. It was challenging, but it was it's also such a luxury, I find, to be able to go away to these towns mm. and make a movie. And with whatever challenges or problems you might face, you... I always think ultimately they're great problems to have, whatever it is that we're dealing with. What's nice about this, and I think it's unusual, is that there's there's a big cast and then there's two layers of cast as well because you mentioned obviously the, the younger cast, a lot of which are, are the dancers, and then you have the the teachers within that as well. Did you enjoy that experience? Yeah, yes, very much so. I love the fact that I had an opportunity to work with all these incredible actresses who were given a platform to shine and do what they do best. Uh, it was so empowering and to see how they work and, and then how they deal with scenes and how they find their characters. I learned so much through that process. I feel incredibly fortunate to have that under my belt and, and to have experienced that because unfortunately it's, um, it's all too rare still. I have to talk about Tilda Swinton. It is a major collaborator with Luca from previous films and obviously I imagine on the set was the one that maybe help define it a little bit or really help drive the film? Yeah, well, they've been talking about remaking Suspiria for many, many years. And so when they finally did get to set, they really were collaborating the entire time. And that was something I found really inspiring, watching them two together and how they decided upon things for her characters and and for the film as a whole. And it's definitely something I I would love to aim for in, in my career, to have an artistic relationship of that caliber because they create such beautiful things. Through your career so far, you've obviously been involved in some projects which are kind of bordering on horror. And and I don't want to give anything away, but um, in the film, obviously, you do get involved in quite a lot of special effects at a particular point. What's that like? Is that something you just have to get through because it's obviously that has to be done for the film? Or is that that quite enjoyable because of the the yuckiness of it and the, the weirdness of it? It's actually really fun being a fan of cinema and and watching films my entire life to then actually see how it's all done and and the magic behind it and realizing all of that it's really fascinating and 
helps too with the scenes when you have that kind of thing going on. It makes it easier in a way. What was it like when you watched the film through? I mean, I, I presume you couldn't quite imagine what it was going to be like until it finished or was, or was it all there in the script? No, I, I mean, it was, I was blown away. I, I really didn't know what to expect. And, and then I saw it and I was just, I, I mean, I always knew we were making something special. But then to see the final product with Tom York's score and, and the editing and the colours, I mean, I was just so proud of what we had made and, I'm just, yeah, I and mean, I'm also so grateful that it's being received the way it is. A favourite scene, either one that you're in or one that you enjoyed seeing from the other side? Towards the end, the big crescendo, yeah. I love that. We filmed that for three days and I really had no idea what they were going to do in the editing room <laughs> and how it was going to come out. And I, I, it's one of my favourite scenes I've ever seen. I think it's done beautifully. And, and where do you go next as an actor? I think I'm going to steer away from horror for a while. <laughs> um, I just w- just want to keep working with directors that I admire, uh, directors that are making really interesting movies uh, with roles and characters that present some sort of challenge, people that aren't perfect with flaws, movies that matter. <sighs> Mia Goth there speaking about Luca's remake of the delightfully over-the-top Suspiria. Going backwards and Call Me By Your Name is one of the most moving and powerful love stories I've seen captured on film and a bigger splash is worth watching for Fines dancing and Tilda Swinton just being her usual amazing self. I'm Ben Eshmaid. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and themed series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.